0: You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Dr. John Massey, Professor of Missions and Associate Dean for Master's programs in the Fish School of Evangelism and Missions at Southwestern Seminary. He holds a PhD in Systematic Theology with a minor in New Testament, and he's served in American churches in various ministry roles and in theological education, many institutions, both stateside and internationally with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, he's a wonderful colleague. We're delighted to have him today. Uh, John, welcome to Preaching Source.
1: Thank you, Dr. McCarty. It's certainly good to be here. All right.
0: Dr. Massey, uh, how can a pastor set the missional tone uh, in his church? Well, we Our pastors out there, they're thinking of... Of missions and 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 being good in in uh, stewards of the missions influence of their church and their wanting practical things. How, how can they do that? Set a, a missional tone for their church.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for that question. I I think it's an important one at our day and time, especially when uh, the the word missional can mean uh, many different things to many different people. Uh, But as it relates to uh, leading the church to being a Great Commission church, being a church that's focused on reaching the nations for Christ, I think it's important to note, as I think most of us would acknowledge, that uh, the tone set in a church is normally set by the pastor. Uh, so I would say that uh, uh, the pastor uh, has that responsibility. And, uh, and certainly I think one of the things that we could say is that the church will be passionate about what the pastor is passionate about. And uh, if the pastor is setting an example, not ju- uh, w- which is important to him setting the tone, uh, I think that uh, the church is certainly going to be minded toward uh, uh, reaching people around them. So uh, Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, and I think this is a text that many people look at and say that though the pastor may not be a gifted evangelist, evangelism is part of the responsibility uh, that the pastor has. And when the pastor is leading by example uh, in reaching people in the community uh, with the gospel, I think this is the fundamental baseline uh, level that a pastor should strive for. There's no way a church is going to get a, um, a vision for global missions unless they're reaching the people around them. And this starts with the pastor uh, stepping out and, uh, and setting the pace in that regard and setting the tone. I think there are many other practical things that the pastor can do in this regard. Uh, missions, is it, it's a, a big part of who the church is. Uh, Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission to the church, making disciples of all nations. And uh, it's important to note that the church is the headquarters for carrying out the Great Commission, not the parachurch organization, but the church, which is why I think it's so important for the pastor to set the tone. Now, in Southern Baptist life, we have a Lighty Moon Christmas offering uh, that's coming up around this time of year. And uh, I think uh, this is one way that the pastor can put the need uh, for missions uh, before the congregation is to promote the Lighting Moon Christmas offering, to allow people to have an opportunity to give tangibly toward what Southern Baptists do cooperatively through their international mission board and sending out missionaries all around the world, reaching uh, people uh, with the gospel. And it may be something as simple as having a, a mission emphasis Sunday or a mission... Uh, emphasis month, uh, where the pastor is putting before the congregation uh, the needs of a lost world, not just in the neighborhood, not just in the city, not just in the state or the country in which we live, but God has called us to make disciples of all nations. And so uh, so what the pastor is passionate about, church is going to be passionate about, and I think this is a uh, something that uh, is good for pastors to remember. Mm.
0: The uh, Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong offerings have been around for a long time. Uh, you know Some people might think well, that's sort of old school. Uh, do you see them as as vehicles that still have a lot of life in them, not just for creating funds but for creating uh, understanding and, and and grasp of missions. Do you see them as still uh, I, useful for that, to raising do. the church's vision for, local, for North American and for international missions?
1: Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the Lottie Moon Christmas offer, offering, just to put it in perspective, nearly 50% of the budget of the International Mission Board is funded through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Now, 50%? 50%. Wow. Uh, it's annual budget. Now, that says a lot. Uh, it says a lot about the impact of the Lighty Moon Christmas offering, but also uh, the need that exists there. Uh, so people giving willingly uh, at the end of the year toward the Lighting Moon Christmas offering is going to have a direct impact on Southern Baptist ability to send out missionaries uh, free to carry out the calling that God has placed on their life without having to worry about raising funds, to be free to reach people with the gospel. Uh, Lottie Moon Christmas Offering makes that happen. So pragmatically, functionally, we say, of course, it makes a big impact uh, if it's nearly 50% of the budget of the IMB. Uh, but in terms of it being a, a tool that rallies people together uh, to educate them about what uh, Southern Baptists do, how they do it, and what kind of impact it makes, it's really all up to the local church pastor. Uh, There are Southern Baptist churches that emphasize the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. There are others that may have it as a line item on their giving envelope without much explanation. But when we think about the namesake of both Lottie Moon Christmas Offering and the Annie Armstrong uh, Christmas Offering, uh, we have a wonderful opportunity to put before people what a life looks like and has looked like completely sold out to the purposes of Christ and his mission in the world and how God is still calling Southern Baptists to follow that same path. So uh, the names attached to these offerings are great teaching tools for our churches uh, and an inspiration not just for men that feel called into mission, but women who feel called into mission as well. Uh, so uh, so in that way, I think churches have to be intentional in not only promoting it for the dollar's sake, but promoting it for the educational benefit that it provides as well.
0: Mm. All right, okay, John, I'm, I'm sitting out there in a local church, let's say, and I want to be a good text-driven preacher, and so, okay, that means most of the time I want to be preaching through Colossians or preaching through Ruth or preaching through Matthew, uh, but, but missions, it isn't a text, it's a, top, it's a topic. So how does a good text-driven preacher preach regularly on missions?
1: Well, that is an outstanding question, and and I would say that that missions, when we think of it in that sense, is not just a topic, but it is a thread that runs through Genesis to Revelation. Some look at Genesis 3.15 as the first presentation of the gospel, but we certainly know when we get to Genesis chapter 12, uh, the covenant God made with Abraham was the first very clear indication that God's purpose in global redemption was not just for Israel, but was to be for the nations. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Paul picks up this theme in Galatians and says that the seed that, uh, that God referred to when he made this promise with Abraham is Christ. So it is through Israel, through Jesus, that God has promised long ago uh... that his plan of redemption would include not just his people israel but would include men from every nation and we know this from the book of revelation so from beginning to end we find this mission uh... theme that is unfolding and really forms a uh, a way in which the entire bible makes sense to us uh... it is uh... reading the scripture through the gospel that emerges from scripture uh... that holds it all together And along with the gospel comes with the call of God to the people of God to preach the gospel. Uh, What's amazing is in the Old Testament, you find so many passages of Scripture, particularly in the Psalms and in the prophets, that speak of God's purpose for the nations. So sometimes people have the misunderstanding that missions begins in the New Testament. Not so. We've already mentioned Genesis chapter 12. But you get into the Psalms and there's this call to the people of God to proclaim the goodness and loving kindness of God, the praises of God uh, in the context of the nations, calling the nations uh, to a relationship with God. And then we get to the book of Jonah. It's kind of an outlier, isn't it? When we think, if, we, if we think of missions as strictly the New Testament, we get to the book of Jonah and we scratch our head wondering, how does this fit? Well, the book of Jonah tells us how it fits. God's heart is not just for the Israelite people, but it's to use the Israelite people to bring the message of Yahweh, to bring the message of his good news, the message of repentance and salvation to people who were the archenemy of Israel. If that doesn't say something about missions, I don't know what does. Uh, so as we get into the New Testament, we know that the Gospels were written uh, to uh, proclaim the good news from different perspectives. Uh, and they were written in such a way to not only reach the unbeliever, but to to edify the church. And, uh, and certainly when we get into Luke-Acts, uh, we know that it is a mission narrative. Uh, the, the book of Acts is of uh, a narrative of the church on mission with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, bringing the gospel from one culture to the next. And then out of the flow of that missionary activity, particularly the Apostle Paul who wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, the letters of Paul were written uh, from the heart of a missionary. uh, And they have a missionary purpose to strengthen existing churches that were started on mission. So when we think about the New Testament and the general epistles in the Revelation, uh, in the book of Revelation, we're talking about documents that were written in the flow and in the context of the mission of the early church so when we preach through the bible beginning in the old testament through to the new testament uh, there's a fundamental question that we should ask what is it saying about god what is it saying about the people of god what's it saying about the purpose of god you know these things have been written for our instruction so i think it's legitimate for us to say as the church what is this text saying to us about our calling to be a part of god's global enterprise and uh, what are some legitimate applications that we can draw in that regard? I think when we ask that fundamental question, the Bible comes alive for us as it relates to how it relates to God's mission and the mission of the church within the context of God's Hmm. mission.
0: So what I'm hearing from you, Dr. Massey, is that that missions uh, should be an awareness that the text-driven preacher brings to each part of Scripture. So even in the Old Testament, he should be alert to you know what there may be there may be a missional theme and purpose in this passage as well as other things
1: absolutely i think without question yeah.
0: one of the other things that a pastor in in a local church needs to do is to uh, sometimes help uh, people in his church discern uh, whether god is putting a call on their lives for missions how what advice can you give to a pastor on on how he does that well?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Ephesians 4.11 talks about the purpose of the gifted leaders that are given by Christ to the church. uh, And one of those primary purposes is to equip them for the work of ministry. Uh, So I think uh, as pastors set the missional tone of the church and put before the church God's global mission and uh, make the Great Commission part of the fabric of the life of the church. Uh, he can expect that inevitably God is going to call out from his congregation, the congregation of the Lord that he serves, uh, those who have been set apart and gifted for, for a missionary task. And <clears throat> I, I, I look at, at the missionary calling as being uh, a special calling uh, to some to take the gospel uh, cross-culturally. Uh, and that means that not everybody is called in that sense, in a vocational sense, to do that. Everybody's called to pray. Everybody's called to give. Uh, everybody's called to go uh, around them uh, in, uh, in our neighborhood, city, and state, nation. But not everybody is called to go cross-culturally. So uh, as the pastor's on the lookout for those people, I, I think that there should be Uh, both uh, an internal call and an external call that will be evident in the life of those who are called. There will be a a desire uh, to reach people from another culture with the gospel, uh, but there will also be the recognition on the part of the pastor and the church uh, that God is doing something special in the life of an individual. Now, personally, what I've seen over the years is that uh, more and more churches are getting involved in sending out short-term mission uh, teams all around the world, uh, this is something that IMB is really encouraging. The International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention is encouraging uh, churches to do is to recognize that they have responsibility for the Great Commission. So more and more short-term teams are going out. Inevitably, there will be those who will go on these short-term trips, who will catch a vision for what God is doing in another culture. And God will use that and turn that into a vocational calling. So many full-time missionaries serving uh, in many different mission organizations across the evangelical spectrum first heard the call of God as they were going. And they began to continue to go. And then they began to reach out to those around them in their own neighborhood. And the pastor and church began to recognize that uh, God was doing something special in the life of this individual or the life of this couple or family. And eventually, they put their hands on them and sent them out uh, to do what God had called them to do. And I think it's important to note that Paul and Barnabas uh, were commissioned by the church in Antioch. And the church in Antioch set them apart and gave them some initial direction as to where they should go in their first three missionary journeys. So it's in the context of the local church that people are going to hear that call. And I view the local church as an incubator for missionary calling. So the pastor should be aware and alert to the fact that God is going to call people out of their congregation. When they get on fire for missions, God is going to call people to missions out of that congregation. So uh, one of the things that mission organizations ask whenever they have someone come uh, to them saying, I think God's called me to missions, is uh, tell me about your neighbor's if they can't tell you whether their neighbors are believers or not, then normally what they'll do is say, well, why don't you go back and begin to cultivate uh, the practice of personal evangelism, of awareness of the needs around you first, And then let's reevaluate this later. So I think that's one thing a pastor should be looking for. And uh, so these are some practical things I think that pastors can keep in mind as they're evaluating whether or not someone is called to missions or not.
0: All right, John. Now, you've specifically mentioned neighbors. Um, uh, My wife and I live in the mid-cities, and uh, our home church is First Baptist Church of Euless. Uh, Saw a recent news story. On how Ulys has become a melting pot, the uh, the mid cities and the Dallas fort Worth areas is becoming one of the most uh, culturally diverse uh, areas in the whole country I, I have neighbors from Iran, from Pakistan, from India, from Latin america from i mean it, it's I walk through my neighborhood at night, and it 's a United Nations. Uh, so how how does the fact that um, that many communities in America are becoming places that the nations are coming to, how, how does that inform or change our perspective and paradigms on missions? Yeah, I think it
1: changes it greatly. Uh, in fact, I'm in the midst of teaching a course right now called Globalization and Mission Strategy. And uh, what you have described is in part the effect of globalization, just a big word for Another way to say that our world is getting smaller, our world is shrinking. Uh, People have the ability now to move about. We live in the the age of the mass migration of people. So as we look around our neighborhoods, uh, as we go to the grocery store, we see people from all over the world. So I think what that says to uh, to the church involved in missions is that missions is no longer purchasing a plane ticket Getting on a plane and going to another country to share the gospel of Christ, though that is vital and will continue to be vital. Uh, God calls us to go. But going can also mean walking across the street and witnessing to a neighbor from another nation. Uh, When I think about Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 17, where he preached to the pagans on Mars Hill, he made a comment in there about God's providence. He said, God has, and this is paraphrase, okay, uh, God has by his providence uh, set the, the boundaries of the habitation of the nations and the times of their existence. In other words, all the different people groups that exist and will exist throughout the history of humanity on this side of uh, Christ's second coming, God has allowed them to come into existence and he's determined where they would live. Now, when I think about migration, I think about the providence of God. God is moving people from place to place, and Paul makes a curious comment uh, in the midst of that description of God's providence. He says, God does this so that they might seek after God and that they might find him. Again, that's a paraphrase. But I think there's a redemptive purpose of God of moving people around the globe, and what's that purpose? I think that purpose is to put them into proximity with other believers. Not only do we go, but God also brings the world to us. And this changes the way that we look at missions. So the fact that your neighborhood looks like a United Nations is because God did that. Why did God do that? So that churches would open their eyes to see that this great harvest that is around us starts in our own neighborhood. So cross-cultural missions is something that is a reality for the church in the large urban centers of our world today. And uh, pastors and churches are going to have to start thinking more like a missionary – Uh, to seize the opportunities that God has given to us. Many of these people uh, will go back to their home country. Many of them will stay here and assimilate. Uh, God's purpose uh, for them through us is the same. It is a mission purpose. And learning how to uh, navigate uh, cultural differences is something that was a part of the early church experience. Acts chapter 6 tells us that the church in Jerusalem had some uh, two different cultural groups of Jews, and they were struggling because of their cultural differences. And I, and I think the urban church today is going to find as they reach out to people from different nations and they come into the church in one way or another— uh, that there is going to be um, a more of a, a changing demographic within churches. In, in the past, uh, churches would thrive in the city. They would normally be Anglo churches. And as, uh, as African Americans began to uh, move into the inner city, uh, churches began to move outside the city. It was called white flight, right? And the churches that remained in the city but failed to adapt to the neighborhood around them eventually died. And there are many such churches like that around us today. So the way that I look at changing demographics in America is, look, our neighborhood has changed. It has become more ethnically diverse. And if we as a convention don't recognize that our neighborhood has changed, we will die. The growth potential in America is not so much with your traditional Anglo in the South, but it's with all of the people that are streaming into our country through uh, the process of immigration and migration. The gospel is growing rapidly among many different ethnicities from all around the world right here in North America. And it's changing the face of evangelicalism, and it's putting a challenge before uh, the Southern Baptist Convention to adapt with our neighborhood to reach the people that are around us. And in doing so we will eventually become more of a diverse denomination uh, as we catch a vision for uh, entering into this harvest that God by his providence has brought about right before us. So I think this is how missions has changed. How do we adapt to it? The International Mission Board has worked much more closely over the last few years with the North American Mission Board. Why? Because of so many migrants that are living in our country now. So home missions, could also be international missions too and the lines are the lines are getting blurred in that regard
0: all right I, I guarantee you that a lot of pastors who are listening to this conversation that a light has just gone on for them so what what does that pastor do it, he's saying oh wow he he dr Massey's right yes the, the the God does determine the boundaries of people and he's and he's changed the boundaries for me for my church for my neighborhood and here are the nations. So what, what are a few practical things that that pastor does if he says, yes, I see what God's doing. How do I get on board with what God's doing?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think uh, small steps, one step at a time. Uh, the, the need is big, too big for any one church. Uh, for churches that are catching a vision for reaching people around them from different nations, uh, start small there's no need to bite off more than you can chew. Uh, There are some churches that start English as a second language ministry. Uh, There there may be teachers within the church or other people within the church who are equipped or who are willing to become certified to teach ESL. And I can guarantee you in any city in the United States of America, there is a large group of international people that want to learn English uh, for obvious reasons. They want to integrate uh, some of them are seeking citizenship. Uh, my church, South Cliff Baptist Church, has, uh, best I know at this point today, the largest ESL ministry in the Fort Worth area. There are over 200 that gathered there on Tuesday night. Uh, people from uh, all over the world uh, seeking to learn English. And uh, and you can do it from a Christian perspective. You can use the Bible to teach English. You can share biblical stories. Uh, while you're me- you're meeting a legitimate need, but you're also building a bridge to people. You're meeting a need within their life that builds a relationship that gives you a unique opportunity to share the gospel with them. Uh, I would say avail yourself of the great resources that exist within your state convention. Uh, I know in the the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention in specific, uh, they have wonderful resources uh, that uh, that churches can avail themselves of to know how to get started. Step number one, what is it that we can do? The International Mission Board is now providing all kinds of training resources for pastors and churches to equip them to know how to be on mission right where they are. Uh, So we live in a day and age where uh, resources are abundantly available uh, for churches to know how to get started. But I would say uh, start small. Uh, Start crossing the street and introducing yourself to your neighbor and encourage your people to do the same thing. And, uh, you know, while adults in America, I think, have a hard time adapting to this new reality. Uh, Kids that are growing up in the public school system, they don't have that that barrier. Right here in Fort Worth, one of my colleagues here said that uh, his three daughters who uh, went through the uh, Fort Worth Independent School District system here, all of their friends were from other countries. Their parents had moved here. Their parents were first-generation immigrants. Their kids become assimilated very quickly into American society. So uh, kids already have higher cultural intelligence uh, than uh, those of my generation do, because growing up with people from uh, around the world uh, is something that was just part of their experience. Uh, So uh, harnessing that Uh, teaching people to take advantage of those opportunities to build a relationship, to share the gospel with people. There are an innumerable number of international students in the the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, We've had the opportunity to be a part of an ESL ministry at Texas Wesleyan University on Tuesday afternoon. They've invited people from the seminary to come over and uh, participate in an English corner so that the international students can have an opportunity to practice their English. These kids are hungry for an American parent or an American friend that would take them in. Uh, most people outside of the Western world are all about relationships. So uh, where can we start? Start with a relationship. Learn how to make a friend with someone from from another country and teach your people how to do that. Uh, avail yourself of the resources that uh, that are at the convention level, that are at uh, the International Mission Board level that will take you step-by-step through a process of knowing how to get started. But I would say always start small. Never try to start too big uh, and then grow from there.
0: Mm. Our guest on Preaching Source today has been Dr. John Massey, Professor of Missions and Associate Dean of the Fish School of Evangelism and Missions at Southwestern Seminary. Uh, John, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. McCartney. It's been a real privilege.